This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that took himself out for dinner and a movie on Valentine's Day. He is the captain. I also gave myself a reach around. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. I really need to drink now. And thank God, today we are drinking Sweet Action by Six Point Brewing Company from beautiful Brooklyn, New York. Garage grade, three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Sweet Action is a juicy blonde wheat ale that was originally brewed for a friend's party, but later named after a magazine. It's hoppy and it's got the right amount of fullness with an ABV of 5%. Sweet Action was brought to us by our good garage friends. First up, a huge thank you. To Allison in Parts Unknown, and also in Parts Unknown, we have a shout-out to Jeff. Hey, Jeff, if you're going to invite your friends over for a barbecue and use the Parts Unknown designated grill areas, please scrape off the the meat residue. Let's go out to the West Coast and give a long-distance cheers to Erica in San Francisco. Big shout-out to Peter in Alexandria, Virginia. And a We Like Your Jib to Katie and Emily listening at work in Morgantown, West Virginia. We like LG. Also, a cheers to Carrie in Overland Park, Kansas. And last but not least, we have Mitch from Columbus, Ohio. So thank you, everybody, for making this week's beer run very successful. If you want to fill up the fridge for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And the best way to support the show is tell a friend and share on social media. You know, just whatever we post, just post to other people. It's a good way to get conversation going about these cases spread the word that's enough of the business captain everybody gather around mm-hmm. grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime
medical examiner says the missing jogger died of strangulation and was possibly sexually assaulted. Police have new information on this murder mystery, including new evidence that could lead to the woman's killer. We've now learned from police sources that when Katrina Karina Vetrano's body was discovered, she was still clutching grass in one of her hands, an indication that she was likely dragged from the main trail. Sources also tell us that one of her sneakers and her headphones were missing from the crime scene, and tonight the search for that evidence and her killer continues. Reward posters spell out the tragic news. This 30-year-old woman was murdered, and now police need help to find her killer. For those who knew Karina Vetrano, she was much more than just a face on a flyer. She was a great girl. She had tons of friends. She lit up the room when she walked in. Family, friends, and neighbors came together and lit candles outside the Vetro restaurant and lounge where Vetrano worked. She was found strangled Tuesday night after going for a jog just a few blocks from her Howard Beach home in the Spring Creek Federal Parkland near the Belt Parkway. Police also believe she may have been sexually assaulted. They say her body was found with her shorts and sports bra pulled down. Police say Vetrano left her home to go for a jog around 5 Tuesday evening. The avid runner often used the unpaved trail and usually ran alongside her father. This time, an injury kept him at home. He asked her not to run this path. All right, now without him. Police say Vetrano was texting with a friend when the text suddenly stopped. Her father began to worry when his phone calls to her went unanswered. At some point after that, her father began to get worried where she was. She didn't return home normally. He called a member of the service, uh, uh, police chief who lives nearby, who then called 911. He helped police retrace their usual running route, and pings from her cell phone led them to a marshy area about 15 feet from the path. Her father discovered the body. You can imagine his, his angst at that point. Uh, we found her face down in the ground. While the community continues to mourn Vetrano's death, the focus shifts to finding her killer. I hope they just catch the animal that did it. Did it. August 2nd, 2016, 30-year-old Karina Vetrano was out for a routine jog near her home. Karina lived in the Howard Beach area in the state of New York. She lived in the same neighborhood as her parents. Now, Karina typically ran the path with her father, Phil Vetrano, who was not with her because of an injury. He had asked her not to go, warning her it might not be safe without him, but she went anyway. Her typical route would take her through portions of the neighborhood and along a bike path that ran along the Belt Parkway, this taking her over by Spring Creek Park. During her jog, Karina had been listening to music and texting a friend. The last known image of Karina Vetrano was captured at 5.46 p.m. on August 2nd when a surveillance camera recorded her running past a parked car. Later, her father repeatedly tried to call her cell phone. Karina did not answer. Well, let's talk about who Karina was. Well, she was born in 1986 in New York, and we already mentioned her father, Phil. Her mother's name is Kathy, mm -hmm. and Karina was one of three children. Karina graduated from St. John's with a master's in speech pathology. She's an aspiring writer. Um, I believe she was working in the restaurant biz at the time of this attack. Now, her father, Phil, uh, who Karina said was her best friend and mm -hmm. obviously her jogging partner, 
Uh, he is a retired New York City firefighter. He was one of the many brave, brave first responders at Ground Zero after the September 11th attacks. Now, the area where the Vetrano family lives, this is a this is a nice area. However, we did hear the warning. Phil had recommended to his daughter that she not go out jogging without him. That makes it sound quite dangerous. But what this really means is there is a what the people living in the neighborhood refer to as the high weeds area or tall weeds area. Mm-hmm. This is toward the Spring Creek Park. Neighbors have said that this area, you know, a lot of the girls in the neighborhood have been told not to walk alone along this area. And one neighbor even stated that this is typically where hobos and bums would lurk. It's very similar to like the Gilgo Beach. Yeah. When, well, when Karina didn't return from her evening jog, her father, Phil, called her cell phone three times. Well, and her father, Phil, was he, he was very physically fit. He's a handsome man. Yeah. And then she has a you know, beautiful mom, so you put those two together, they got a beautiful daughter. Well, and she's extremely fit as well, mm-hmm. an avid jogger. Uh, when she didn't answer any of these calls, Phil went out despite his back injury that had kept him from participating in the jog. He went out. He's looking for his daughter. This is this is actually perfect because he knows the route that they would normally take. He knows where to go to look for her. Right. Phil does not find his daughter. In fact, he finds no sign or trace of her. He calls the police and he notifies them that his daughter is missing. The police respond and they join in the search. They quickly use Karina's cell phone information to help narrow the search. They're using the very same calls from Phil when he had called her cell phone to gather cell phone tower ping information to locate her. Mm -hmm. From there, somewhere in the brush off the path, Karina's phone was located. And then police and Phil Vitrino found Karina's body at around 9 p.m. Yeah. This was in the Spring Creek Park area. What's kind of interesting here, though, is um, everybody said, well, was it hard for you to find your daughter? And he said that he would prefer that he found her than somebody else. Yeah, I I saw a bunch of interviews with Phil Vetrano, and the thing was, he was extremely close to his daughter, and he almost he also said that you know finding her and being a part of the search was like the one last thing he could do in a form of protection of his own daughter. Yeah. You know, all he ever wanted to do was protect his daughter and be her best friend. And it was the one last act that he could do. I, I do want to to make reference to kind of his feelings and the feelings of the neighbors at the time when they were searching for her. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were expecting a good outcome. Um, you know, I hate to say that, but I think, you know, people were some people are a little surprised by Phil's reaction. I think he was already kind of. trying to on some level accept it that this is what I'm going to find as they search for his daughter. I believe he also said he had a feeling Mm -hmm. and and we, we hear this a lot of times with cases where somebody goes missing and, and right away somebody has a feeling that it's bad. Yeah. Well, the police and Phil, they located Karina's body at about 9 PM that night in the spring Creek park area. She was located face down about 14 blocks from her home in the marshes of the park about 15 feet off of the main trail. 
Let's talk about the initial investigation into this murder first, Captain. What were the NYPD's findings and what was learned about the attack and the perpetrator that had killed this young woman? Well, the, well, the first suspect was the, the father. Yeah, yeah. And we can get into sus- some suspicions, but I want to kind of go through the evidence and the investigation first before mm-hmm. we get into that. So she's found face down. Now her clothing, someone had pulled the shorts down. She's wearing a typical jogger's outfit, sports bra, and jogging shorts. It's not just a sports bra, but, you know, it'd be like kind of a half shirt. Goes down the stomach. No, no. It's if, if you watch the clip of her running, it's, you know, kind of like, you know, I don't know, I'd call them biker shorts. Mm-hmm. And then some kind of top, but you can see her midriff. There's, so. there's, there's got to be names for these <laughs> articles yeah, I, of clothing, I, I, and we just don't know what they are. Right. And, like, yeah, you would, you probably look at it and say sports bra, but normally you have a sports bra and you put something on top of it. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you just don't walk out with this sports bra. I mean, she's dressed as a runner. Right. Now, her phone, earbuds, and at least one shoe, while they were all located, none of these items were found with the body. Mm-hmm. She had bruising. There was a lot of facial bruising and a lot of bruising on her legs. Her socks were wet. They found, quote, tall grass in the clutches of her hands. Note the grass and weeds are four to five foot tall in that area at that time of year. Detectives said all of these factors told them where she had been grabbed from and the trail that the attacker, that he had dragged her. Yeah, and she was beat up badly. Very badly. They mm-hmm. they offered this hypothesis. They said they believed this was a surprise attack, but she had put up one hell of a fight. Mm-hmm. The attacker grabbed her, beat her, and dragged her along a path into the wooded, more secluded area. Now, at this time, she's biting, scratching, and clawing at her attacker. Her earbuds come out and fall into the brush. The attacker grabs Karina's phone and throws it into the woods. Then one of her shoes comes off as he continues to drag her. Karina grabs at the tall weeds and the grass. Now, mind you, these are thick and would have almost acted like ropes, like lifelines that she's grabbing at. This slows the attacker down, but does not stop him. The attack is what caused the bruising on her face and the dragging is what caused the bruising on her legs. After the attack, he leaves her lifeless and face down in a wooded secluded area, just 15 feet off of the path. But that was not the only thing that the attacker had left behind. He left his DNA. The medical examiner determined that she most likely had been sexually assaulted and died of strangulation. Well, and they're going to have DNA. So they get DNA from underneath her fingernails. DNA from her phone, mm-hmm. from the person grabbing the phone and throwing the phone, mm-hmm. and then touch DNA from her neck and back area because that's they assume that this person snuck up behind her. Well, after running that DNA through nationwide, state, and local databases, the police, they found no matches. Uh, since the national databases were only started in 1998, the NYPD said it was also going to look at records to see who might have been in jail before that time or someone younger who might not have done any jail time. Right Now, one thing that they're kind of leading towards here is that 
their suspicions are that this might be a repeat offender. Now, we mentioned the camera footage that shows Karina jogging at 5.46 p.m. Unfortunately, nothing is learned from this as she is she's alone in that footage. She's not being followed, and she's on her normal route. No. This footage was obtained from canvassing the area. The other thing that knocking on doors, talking to people in the neighborhood, and canvassing the area produ- produces is this. People told police about a man seen in the area. No one had recognized him. So armed with this info, the NYPD released a sketch of a man seen leaving Spring Creek Park around the time Karina Vetrano was killed. The man in the sketch is not considered a suspect, however. That's their announcement to the public. But they, but this person may have been a witness to the murder or may have seen something that could offer the police a much-needed clue. The description of the individual is as follows. He's listed as a black male, 35 to 45 years old, height approximately 5 foot 9 or 10, medium build, wearing dark pants with a red t-shirt and a dark wool hat. And what were some other suspicions that people were having? Well, there was plenty of it early in this investigation, that's for sure. The the public had their suspicions, the Vetrano family had theirs, and the police had suspicions as well. Mm-hmm. And I think we can look at each of these. Now, when you talk about the public, first, it's obvious by comments from persons living in the neighborhood. Uh, when you have people saying things like girls know not to walk in that area alone and hobos and bums typically lurk in there, they, while not not shared by all of the people, I think it's it's pretty likely to say it's pretty reasonable to say that a good portion of that neighborhood believed that some undesirable person that does not live in that community was sneaking around, maybe even lying in wait to attack some woman walking alone or running alone right. uh, that evening. But a lot of people suspected too, that, um, that she was targeted for a while because she is, you know, she was such an attractive woman that they thought maybe she would have been, you know, um, you know, tracked and monitored yeah. and all that stuff. The problem with this thought is that she ran almost every time she ran, she ran with her father. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what made people think maybe the father was involved. Right. And you know, that was, um, I saw a lot of this on the internet, uh, rather than in news stories. Um, uh, but some people suggested that the father may have killed her. Now we mentioned that they had a close relationship. He was, typically the one that would be out jogging with her. He did go out looking for her, mm-hmm. which some have ch- suggested that that points towards some form of guilt. And then there's some other stories. You know, we said here that he, along with the police found her together. Right. There are some reports that indicate that he may have found her, you know, seconds before the, that the police were following him. Yeah. Uh, that they were they were assisting him in the search, that he was kind of the lead dog on this search, and he was the one that found her first. Yeah, I think that's how it went down. But again, he's an you know, avid runner that runs this track all the time, so he's going to know all the areas. And I know we always have to look at people close, you know, on that very inner circle of the victims, because a lot of the times that ends up being the person that has killed the victim. Mm-hmm. However... That that's not, I don't have anything to base this off of other than just my gut feeling. When, when I first dove into this case, I didn't see that from 
the relationship. I didn't find anything weird about their relationship. What I saw was two people that were very close and that she wanted to be very close with her father and her mother. You know, she lived, she, she lived in the same neighborhood as them. She, she was a grown woman who had her her own successes. She could have moved elsewhere. She could have lived elsewhere. Right. But from the outside looking in, somebody could say, well, maybe she lived in that neighborhood because her parents made her. I think what happened here was one, um, you know, her, her father being a firefighter, he's a firefighters are normally friends with police officers. Mm-hmm. So if there was any suspicion towards him, he handled it perfectly because he probably said, Hey, I understand that you guys are just doing your job and you're trying to find out one, what happened and who did this to, to my daughter. Right. And so he probably was pretty cooperative and they were able to clear him pretty quickly. Well, yes, they were. And, and I want to, I want to go on record saying that I just saw a healthy relationship between her and her parents mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But okay. But you're a detective, right? Uh, huh. and she goes missing on a path that she runs with her father. Mm-hmm. You should investigate that angle. Oh, of course. Just, you know, 100%. I mean? just it, because you don't have a feeling of anything weird there, you got to investigate. And what I'm saying is because he's a part of the system, he's able to say, Hey, do your job clear me and let's move forward. Yeah. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. Um, you know, they had DNA in this case, so Mm -hmm. it makes it pretty easy to clear people if they're willing to submit to the DNA test, which her father did, her boyfriend did, and other family members did as well. They cleared a bunch of people immediately early on in this investigation because of those DNA tests Mm -hmm. and being able to compare it to something. Now, as far as the Vetrano family goes, their theory, when this case broke, I shared the same suspicions as Karina's parents, that someone living in the area, you had mentioned maybe she was tracked because she was very attractive and she did run that same route almost daily, Mm -hmm. that someone living in the area was responsible for this. In fact, Phil Vetrano he had announced publicly that he was looking for a man. Phil did not know the name of this man, but he believed this is a man that must have lived in the area. This is because the man regularly ran along the bike path. Mm-hmm. The man Phil said it had not been seen running the path since the date of the murder. Later, when Phil announced this during a radio interview and then a TV, a TV interview, The man Phil was describing was listening and the man had came forward. He explained that he had had some type of surgery, I believe, and was not running due to his recovery. Right. Just like the father. Yeah. The the man, while he remains nameless to the public, he did volunteer uh, DNA to submit DNA and was checked and he was cleared. Think about this though, right? You're just some guy that runs a path, right? Mm-hmm. And you just happen to see this this um, you know attractive woman running with her father, right? Right. But you see them constantly because you guys both run the same path. And then you have surgery. You go, oh, something happened. I can't run. And then you hear on the radio that you might be a suspect. Yeah, that the father considers you to be a suspect, which which he should. I would if I were her father, and there was like some dude that I'm used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, wait a second. I've not seen that guy since this date. Right. You, mm-hmm. you know, let's make sure this is not just a coincidence, which it turns out to be. Yeah. But if you're that guy, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're thinking, 
do I really look that creepy? Do I really put off this creepy vibe? I'm just running. I'm just running for health reasons. I'm running to stay in shape. And you think I'm a creepo? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm just saying, you'd have to look at yourself. You'd have to think about your hairstyle. Maybe think about the shoes you're wearing and, and change that. You don't want people thinking that you're some creep running in the park. Let's get into the police suspicions. Um, and I want to, this is one thing that seemed pretty clear from the get go. They outwardly stated that they believe that they were looking for someone with a record with a, with a previous record of similar type offenses. One is because it was such a violent attack. Right. And, and it's also in broad daylight pretty much. I mean, even though you're going to be pulling this girl into this marsh, there's people out there. Yeah. I mean, so rightfully so this seems like an act that somebody that had priors would commit. And I think it's all those elements that, that makes them convinced that this was a serial offender, maybe a serial rapist or serial, uh, murderer. Uh, you know, this, because this was stated to reporters and to the public and from what they said in regards to the DNA testing, remember they said that they had ran it through nationwide state and local databases. No matches were found since the national database. Sorry about that. Spit it out. there. was only started in 1998. They said they were going back to look at records to see who might have been in jail before that time or someone younger who might not have done jail time. The Mm -hmm. chief stating that they could be looking for a teenager. This might imply that Karina's attack was the killer's first and that there would be more to follow. But the FBI actually did a profile on who they thought this suspect was. Well, and they released this criminal profile to the public in hopes that it would drum up some leads. And it reads as follows. The person who committed the assault is likely familiar with the park and he may have spent time there for any of a variety of reasons. The park is routinely used by fishermen, dirt bike riders, environmentalists, and other outdoor enthusiasts. Certain areas within the park serve as a gathering place for homeless and recreational drug and alcohol users. He may have been frequenting or even living in the park for days, weeks, or months prior to the assault, and was likely a familiar face to others who used the park on a regular basis. Following the assault on Karina, he likely stopped visiting or living in the park abruptly. He may have moved his recreational activities or residence to another area. He may have provided a seemingly reasonable excuse for this change in behavior. He may have even suggested his avoidance of the park was due to the danger there. In the hours following the assault on Karina, anyone encountering him may have observed him to be disheveled in appearance with possible scratches or cuts to his hands, arms, neck, or face. It could have appeared that he was in some type of fight or accident, and he may have given any of a variety of excuses for his appearance. Following the assault, he may have noticeably changed his level of alcohol, drug, or tobacco use. He may have paid careful attention to media reporting on the assault of Karina. He may have taken steps to limit his exposure to the media reporting, and he may have changed his appearance. Well, that's the FBI profile, but what did the chief have to say? 
Chief Robert Boyce with the NYPD said that detectives believe that the killing was a random attack. Mm -hmm. He said one theory is that the killer retreated through the weeds and emerged along the Belt Parkway in Brooklyn, pointing out that detectives traced all possible escape routes with no suspect on camera and no evidence indicating any one person. The chief added that detectives think that the wool hat that was seen in the sketch Mm -hmm. of the man that they wanted to talk to, he thinks that that could be the key to figuring out who this person is, reminding us that the murder took place on August 2nd, a hot day. Karina was in shorts, as we had discussed, stating that you usually don't wear a wool hat on a hot day. In fact, Mm -hmm. this is what made the people that had seen him, that had gave his description to the police. This wool hat was one thing that made these people remember him and two, to take a closer look at him when they had seen him to, to begin with Mm -hmm. the people that spotted this man all found it to be strange that he was in fact, wearing this on such a hot day. Keep in mind this profile, the information provided to us by the police and the sketch. These are all released months after the murder in hopes that someone would come forward who knew this guy. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. State police are asking for your help in the investigation into the murder of a woman who left for a jog in central Massachusetts this weekend and never came home. The body of 27-year-old Vanessa Marcotte was found a half mile from her mother's home in Princeton Sunday night. At this time, police do not know whether she was a targeted or a random victim. 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 Targeted or a random victim. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. 
And as you just heard in that audio clip, just five days after Karina Vetrano was murdered while out for a jog, about 175 miles away, another woman is attacked and murdered while she is out for a run. Vanessa Marcotte, 27 years old, who lived in New York, was found dead in a wooded area near Brooks Station Road, just about a half mile from her mother's Princeton, Massachusetts home. Vanessa was in Princeton visiting her mother. She was getting ready to return to her home in New York later that day, but was going to go out and get some exercise first. Police said the town of Princeton, they haven't had a homicide in three decades. We're talking about a smaller town captain. I believe it's like 4,000 people live there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, this is not a common occurrence for the Princeton police department. Now, who was Vanessa Marcotte? Well, she grew up in Leo Minster and attended the Bancroft School in Worcester. And then she graduated from Boston University in 2011 with honors. Uh, She was known for her love of running. She spent her free time volunteering and helping others. Marcotte was living in New York City where she worked for Google as an account executive. Now, the breakdown of how this last day went goes like this. Around 1.15 p.m., mm. Vanessa leaves her mother's house. This is at 109 Brooks Station Road. At 2.11 p.m. is the final transmission from her cell phone. She's not heard from. Police actually believe that her phone was either disabled or turned off at this point. So at 3 p.m., Her mother, Rosanna, is going to report her missing. This triggers a search that expanded into neighboring towns. And eventually, the local police department there, they brought in the state police helicopter into the area as the hours dragged on and Vanessa was not found. It wasn't until 8.30 p.m. that Vanessa's body is found just about a quarter mile from her mother's home. Her feet and hands had been burned with gasoline. All of her clothes had been removed except for her sports bra. One of her shoes was found at the scene, but the other shoe and her clothing, including a baseball cap and her iPhone, were not found. When investigators searching with dogs found her body, her nose was fractured and her throat was crushed. Evidence showed Vanessa put up one hell of a fight against her attacker. Now, regarding the initial investigation, on August 8th, one day after she was killed, investigators with the state police and with the Worcester District Attorney's Office, they stated that they had recovered DNA evidence from the victim's body. The district attorney told the public, we do not know if this is a random act. We are asking residents to be careful, to be very careful. Right now, we have an active homicide investigation going on and you can't be too careful. Now, police did open up a 24-hour tip line specifically for this unsolved murder case. Yeah. And the tips really started coming rolling in. It eventually, you know, after several months had gone by, they had received over 1,300 tips regarding this case. Now, some of the more notable and helpful tips that came in uh, are as follows. One, according to a, to a local witness... Vanessa stopped at a mountainside market on on Harbidston Road in the afternoon to purchase a drink. And this witness saw her leaving 
that market walking and talking on her cell phone. The best that the witness could provide is that this would have happened sometime after 1 p.m. on that day. And wasn't there another tip where somebody saw a vehicle possibly following her that day? Yeah, someone had seen a person that resembled Vanessa walking in the area that that was told that she was walking. And they believed that they had seen a vehicle that they thought to be following this person. Now, there's not a whole lot of information with inside this tip. It sounds to me like it's something that was observed, that was seen by a witness and not, you know, sometimes you see things and you just don't really pay attention to them because you're, you're, you're going along about your ordinary business on an ordinary day. Oh, I pay attention. <laughs> I, we do a podcast every week that tells me I need to pay attention. You carry around a little uh, steno pad and just write down the events of the entire day. And I have these Google glasses that record everything. Now, maybe the tip that would provide the most information came from a Princeton resident by the name of Andrew Squire. He provides a tip that on the day that Vanessa was murdered, he had been driving on the road that she was believed to have been walking and jogging on. He told investigators that at around 1.45 p.m. on that same road, he had saw a man standing next to a dark Ford Escape. That's a uh, SUV. Okay. When he passed the vehicle, he noticed that the hood was up and a man was standing next to the SUV. The man was on a phone. Now, Squire Andrew Squire believed that the man had been talking to someone about getting help for his car. It appeared to him that the vehicle had broke down. Possibly, but we've seen this ruse before. Yeah. You know, act like my car is broken. Hey, lady, can you help me? He then drives, Andrew Squire then drives past a second time. This is a few minutes later. Right. uh, And the SUV is now closed and locked. So Andrew must have stopped to see if the vehicle was not locked. According to his statement, it's locked. That's weird. He stated that no one is standing near the vehicle at this time and that the windows were so dark that he could not see inside the vehicle. Right. So he drives past the area where where Marcotte's body uh, is eventually found. He sees this man standing next to a dark Ford Escape. The hood is up on the SUV and the man is on the phone appearing to talk to somebody. Now, one thing I want to get into here a little bit, Captain, is I... You know, when we said that that he drove by a second time, this wasn't like he saw this and immediately thought it was suspicious, so he turned around and he came back there immediately to check on the situation. No, Andrew was going somewhere. I believe he was dropping uh, either his family off or people he knew. He was dropping them off at church that day. So he had drove them to the church from picking them up or from his home and then drops them off at the church, and then he returns going back the same route uh, to return to wherever he'd come from. Right. Now, uh, the thing I want to point out here is the as far as what time that was, we have this uh, 145 time marker of the time that he first saw the vehicle. According to newspaper accounts, it's all over the shop what time he saw the vehicle to be locked and no man standing next to it. So I don't even want to begin to give a time for that. But... He drops these people off and he's traveling back through the area. He must have thought, well, you know what? If this vehicle is still on the side of the road, maybe I should see if this guy ever got a hold of anybody to, to, to receive help. Right. You know, this is a smaller community. 
Um, I don't know that everybody would do this in every community, but I can certainly see this going on in a strong, in a smaller community, stopping to see if the person had received any help this time, the hood is closed on the truck. It's locked up and he can't see into the windows. So he just goes about his business. Yeah. But if your car breaks down and, and maybe your cell phone dies, then you got to lock your car up and then go to a convenience store to make a call or whatever. Yeah. But okay. So we have two women that are attacked. Why running? Mm-hmm. We have under 200 mile distance. Yeah, it's approximately 175 miles uh, from Howard Beach to the Princeton, Massachusetts area. And the strange thing here, Captain, is we have two attacks that are so very similar. We all, we have victims that are so very similar in areas where you wouldn't expect these type of attacks to go down. And this is occurring just five days apart yeah. from one another. And it makes you wonder because in the first case we go, this possibly is a teenager. This is possibly the, per- this is possibly the suspect's first attack. According to NYPD, those are their words. Yes. Right. Did this person drive, you know, uh, 200 miles, which would then also explain the car breaking down possibly. Mm-hmm. Is this person uh, responsible for both attacks? Well, and the other strange thing that links these two uh, crimes together as well is like, like I said, the victims are so similar. You have in Karina's case, a 30 year old uh, woman from New York. And in Vanessa's case, you have a 27 year old woman from New York as well. She's, she's in Massachusetts visiting her mother and her, her extended family. So we have a very similar victimology. It's a very strange situation. And both of these cases really jumped in the spotlight at the time. And think about it. It's just one less than a week apart. The media immediately linked these cases together. And these two victims will forever be linked together because of the media putting these both in the spotlight. Now, in the Vanessa case, in Vanessa Marcotte's case, we have something similar here as well, because it's about six months later in February of 2017, the district attorney in that area released more information regarding a suspect, an actual suspect in Vanessa's murder. And a profile was based off of DNA collected where her body was found and based off of witness statements. And this is what they released to the public. They believed Vanessa was most likely attacked at random by a stranger Mm -hmm. and that the killer most likely lived in or frequented the area surrounding Princeton. The killer is a Hispanic or Latino male in his late twenties to thirties with an athletic build, average height and either short or shaved hair. It is also believed that the suspect either owned or had access to a dark colored SUV on the day of the murder would have had visible injuries to his upper body in the days following the attack. Yeah. It's just very eerie how similar they are. Well, the thing that jumps off the page to me here, captain is we're talking about six months later. Okay. February of 2017, both these murders occurred early in August of 2016. And what I'm seeing here is a concerted effort by both police departments to really take these cases on very hands-on 
because we're seeing a lot of information coming out and being released to the public. Yeah. And why? Because both of these cases, they have DNA evidence found on each of the victims. This means, guess what? If you can get us and point us to the right guy, if we can get him to take that test or, or, or make him take that DNA test, we got this dude. We just need, we need the public's help to come forward and point us in the right direction. I find it very interesting that, um, you know, we're talking about two cases where you don't typically see the FBI come out and release a profile. Yeah. Uh, usually based on not, not always based on a single attack or a single case. And in both instances, we're getting a criminal profile of this individual. Now, when I say individual, there's a good chance these, these attacks are not linked other than through the media. Now, what do we see in the first one? We see an FBI profile where they're specifically talking about an individual that, that has some kind of link. He's anchored to this park for some reason. That's what the FBI believes. And then you have the NYPD, which I don't want to get into this whole, whole thing here, but, um, it's, it's interesting when you, when you trace back criminal profiling right. and as far as the, you know, the FBI being involved in this whole thing, if you trace it back far enough, you can actually find that the genesis of criminal profiling kind of started with the, uh, NYPD with it, with an old case from a long time ago. So one thing that I'm curious about, and we have a lot of New York listeners, we have some, uh, officers that are in the New York area. If you guys know this, let me know, because one thing I've always been cur curious about with how big the police force is there, if they actually do some criminal profiling themselves, um, because you have the FBI information coming out about this suspect that's anchored to this park. They believe that this person was somebody that was in the park up to that actual murder. And then poof, he's not in that park anymore. And then you have the New York police department stating that we believe that sketch that we released right. is the secret. This guy that was spotted in the area wearing a wool cap on a very hot day. This is the guy that we need to talk to. We don't know if, if he's the suspect for certain. We just know we need to speak with this guy and they're able to release this information. They don't always want to release profiles. You investigators don't always want to release these things. They don't want to show too much of their hand, but in these cases where you have DNA and you only need to be pointed in the right direction to get that guy, right. you have to keep this in the public's attention. You have to keep this on the public's mind. And that requires releasing new information from time to time to keep the case in the spotlight and provide tidbits of knowledge and nuggets of information where people, somebody somewhere goes, aha, aha, I remember something <sighs> or, or I know somebody like that. Yeah. And you see that in the situation with Vanessa Marcotte's case as well, where we have, we have even more information. And the curious thing here is they're saying this information in our profile is based off of DNA that was collected on her body and compiled with witness statements. Remember we have Andrew Squire stating that he saw a man standing next to a dark colored SUV in the criminal profile that they give. They're saying that they believe that this man is a Hispanic or Latino male in his late twenties to, 
to 30s. So we know that the Andrew Squire and maybe even others provided law enforcement with a physical description of this man. Right. They're not just pulling this out of the air. They're also stating that this this individual had access or owned a dark colored SUV, which was described as right, right. like with Andrew Squire. But with the these cases possibly being connected, they both have DNA. So and the the fact that the media is connecting these cases, they could do a DNA test to see if these DNAs even match. Correct. And I'm curious to I'm curious if they did do that. Uh, that's one thing that was never mentioned in any report that I could find where we have the media linking these cases together. We don't see that from either police department. We don't see that publicly, but you're in law enforcement. You don't have to show your whole hand, but this has to be an angle that you're looking at, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in Boston and you go, well, shit, this just happened, you know, uh, five days ago. Yeah. 170 some miles away. Yeah. And so we have two young, successful women, both murdered within the same week under similar circumstances. We have uh, Karina Vetrano murdered on August 2nd, 2016, and then v- Vanessa Marcotte murdered just five days later on August 7th. Now, one thing that was very obvious and very apparent from the get-go, and we talked about how close of a relationship that the Vetranos had with their daughter. Yeah. And one thing that they were not going to do was let this case fall from the public's eyes. They wanted to keep this, her name in the news. They wanted to keep her name and picture where everybody can see it to be reminded of what had happened until we can get this thing solved. It's the old John Walsh theory that if you can keep the public reminded of this situation, that's the only way to keep the tips and information coming in. Yeah. And we have a very powerful piece of audio here where we have Kathy Vetrano addressing the killer of her daughter. Yeah, and she uses, uh, let's just say, captain language. So if you have kids in the car, you probably want to not let them listen to this. I reiterate everything that my husband said a hundredfold. I thank Howard Beach beyond words, every single one of you. And now, look into my eyes, everybody, because I'm going to address the coward. Whoever you are, whether you're one, whether you're 10, I'm going to just use singular, but I'm here to remind you, in case you don't already know, that now it's the whole entire world against you. The whole entire world knows what a pathetic, puny, Weak piece of filth that you are. The whole world knows that. And soon, I know, they're all going to know your face as well. Soon, we're going to have a face to the dickless piece 
of garbage that you are. And above and beyond you all, you know that my daughter was a force to be reckoned with. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you motherfucker, that you will be reckoning with that force, not only for the rest of your pathetic life, but for the rest of eternity as you fucking burn in hell. I guarantee you that. My daughter was a big believer of karma. And as you could see, she's magical. The whole world knows she's magical. And I guarantee you, you will pay forever. Good for them. I love these parents. Yeah. I wish they were my parents. <laughs> yeah, they're very good people. And it, it's easy to see why uh, Karina was so close with her parents. They were a big influence and a big part of her life. And we see that as well with our other victim, Vanessa Marcotte. I mean, she she lives in New York. She's very successful. I mean, that's a hell of a job to work at Google. Mm-hmm. And she is, she goes, goes home every other week to visit her mother and her extended family. So we're talking about two very good people. Yeah. But I love this mom because she doesn't hold back. She says, you're weak, you're a coward. And then you hear her dad in the background. He says, piece of shit. Cause that's what you are. You're a piece of shit. So I applaud her and him. I think that's uh, the right approach. All right. There's a lot more to get to in both cases. In the murder case of Karina Vetrano, as well as Vanessa Marcotte. And Captain, you keep saying that there's some kind of announcement to make. Um, are you leaving the garage? <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm pregnant is what, what happened. Uh, I had to had a little too much fun, had too much uh, bourbon, and now I'm pregnant. No, um, some of the stuff we can't talk about yet because it's not finalized, but one of the things that we are working on trying to figure out how to do and we'll be doing pretty soon is we'll be doing a 20 to 30-minute extra episode every week. Um, I don't know how this will be released yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, calling it loosely titled you know, True Crime Garage Off the Record. There's a lot of conversations that me and you have about true crime documentaries about other cases that we covered in the past that maybe there's a new update that we haven't been able to get to um, because it's really hard. Some, sometimes people say, Hey, there's some new information on the Delphi murders or, or the Brian Schaefer case or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that information is only 15, 20 minutes worth of new information or less. And, right. uh, and unfortunately this here, our regular weekly show is not really the platform to get that information out and back to you. Uh, we're very lucky, lucky and thankful that we have listeners that stay active on some of these cases, if not all of them checking right. for news that's coming out, checking for updates. And then a lot of times the listeners are providing us with those updates. And, and I, w- I do want to make a clear announcement 
I did not respond to all the emails, but I must have had 40 or 50 people tell me that there's been an update in the boys on the tracks case. Yeah. I, if I didn't respond to your email, I apologize, but I got so many of them and I appreciate the update. Um, that's something that we'll discuss here on our blog. And we've always used our blog as kind of a way to keep the discussions going about these different cases and to provide some updates, whether it be coming from the listeners or from us ourselves. So this, if we're able to get this off the ground here, Captain, this will not only allow us the opportunity to do and discuss some different things on a weekly basis, but it will also provide us with a good, solid platform for where we can provide updates to cases that we have already covered. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a catch-all, really. I mean, because there's some sometimes that we're on the phone for four hours talking about cases, and maybe we'll be able to um, you know, record some of those clips and, and re- release those as well. So that is part of the big announcement. There is more to come, but I didn't want to keep teasing you, you know? Right. I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. All right. See you back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, everybody be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.